Hello and welcome to the next in an occasional series of podcasts where we sit down for a cup of tea and a chat with some of the many projects supported by the EDGE Foundation. My name is Jane Samuels and I'm Director of Projects and Operations at EDGE. EDGE is an independent education foundation which via its projects, research, policy and campaign work strives to make education relevant. The world is changing fast and our education system needs to keep up. EDGE believes that all young people need to be equipped with the skills that today's global digital economy demands. And we really love to support people and organisations who are trying to do things differently. Today, I'm delighted to be speaking to David Leet, Alison Whelan and Ulrika Thomas about Newcastle University's PBL Goes to University project. So welcome, David, Alison and Ulrika. Now, Newcastle University received funding from the EDGE Grant Fund back in 2019 to run the PBL Goes to University projects. It was intended to be a two-year project, but like so much in life at the moment, it's been slightly delayed by COVID. But you've recently completed the project and launched some really great resources to help schools get started with project-based learning. So PBL is still quite an unfamiliar approach in most schools across the UK. So tell me a little about what PBL is and why the university got involved with this. I have a long history of working in teacher education and in teacher professional development. And originally my focus was on thinking skills. And thinking skills had uh, a period of um, sort of basking in the sunshine in the 1990s. But because of government policy, it found life difficult um, as we got to the turn of the century. So during the early part of this century, I was looking at how do you find a curriculum approach that really embeds a more meaningful approach to the curriculum? And it was obvious to me at that time that project-based learning was that approach. And at that time, we were doing a lot of master's courses, I'm still indeed doing those master's courses, and project-based learning and inquiry, which is very closely allied to PBL, was one of the approaches to teaching and curriculum that we had in, in our master's modules. So we had the experience of supporting teachers in doing project-based learning and inquiry in schools, innovating with their curriculum, within their curriculum. And that led to various relationships with schools and inevitably one thing leads to another uh, and over a period of time we had a an infrastructure and set of relationships of us working and supporting individual teachers and one or two schools that were interested in projects so it was then a case of how do we take this one stage further and the opportunity through edge arose and it seemed like too good an opportunity to miss <laughs> <laughs> That's what we like to hear at Edge. Well, we're, we're all for cashing in on opportunities. And the other thing I would, would say is that universities do a great deal of uh, interaction with schools, supporting curriculum, supporting projects. And I think we saw the opportunity to redirect that in some way towards doing high quality projects in schools that have the kind of relevance to students that would in, inform their not only their views about themselves, but also the, the view of what they might do in the future in terms of education and employment. Excellent. Now, it seems that there are there are real key aspects to, to successfully using PBL. 
you have to plan your project, you have to make sure you've got that driving question, and you need to know where you're going. So looking at the specifics of, of this project, how do you think what you've done here has helped um, teachers and practitioners actually focus on the, the key aspects for success? The really fun and interesting part of this project for us was the different roles that we could pay to help the teachers and the schools as they started to implement PBL. So we've been able to act as broker, critical friend, all sorts of roles at different stages with different teachers and schools. For some teachers, um, these key elements of PBL can seem quite, quite daunting at first, especially if they're new to PBL or if their school or subject curriculum is um, designed or is designed in a particular way. So we were able to work alongside them individually, a personalised approach in many ways. It might have been to develop a driving question to start with, like what did they want to achieve from this project? What did they hope their students would learn in terms of content, in terms of skills and experiences? Um, we were able to access our range of contacts within the university and other external partners to help organise visits and speakers to make sure that students got those authentic encounters with the real world, um, like with the Digital Archives project, um, where they came onto campus and were able to look at real archives, cybersecurity projects, where we worked with uh, police officers. These involved working closely with external partners or visiting campus, and that was something that perhaps the teachers weren't confident in organising themselves. We also talked to teachers about how they could collaborate with their own existing contacts in a more meaningful way. Durham Sixth Form Centre is a good example there because they already had several projects underway and they had contacts as diverse as forensic police officers and Jamie Oliver's Ministry of Food. So <laughs> what we did was step in to see how we could make more use of the collaboration possibilities there. We supported teachers with their final products and showcases, both the planning, the ideas, and with venues. Um, we're lucky on campus, obviously, we have things like a mock courtroom in our law school. So we use that for Hartlepool Sixth Forms Mock Trials Project. Um, so I think we found that the produced is really a culmination of all of our work with the teachers, the professional learning sessions that we offered, the conversation and ideas that were generated through those sessions, the planning materials we've collated and developed in conjunction with teachers and obviously the case studies of the projects that, that came out of it. And we really, really hope that the teachers will continue to be able to use this guide to support them through the whole PBL process once we've taken our our support crew element um, out, out, of the, um, out of the equation. Excellent. Excellent. Now, you, you mentioned your sort of your library um, of, of PBL sort of project case studies. Um, now I've had a look at that and there's a huge range of, of, of projects in there. But have you found that you or the, the, the staff that are actually delivering PBL feel that PBL is suited to specific subjects? Um, I think it's fair to say that we come at it very much from every subject being able to be part of uh, project-based learning opportunity but it's fair to say that some subjects are generally more kind of project-oriented naturally so if you take things like design and technology perhaps science investigations they sort of lend themselves generally to this approach and a lot of the teachers find it comes to them quite naturally but if you take some of our case studies we had the maths in architecture project and 
I suppose normally you probably think as a core subject and perhaps centred around lots of equation learning, but that's not <laughs> kind of a natural fit for project-based learning. Um, but in this project, the, the teacher was focusing very much on things like shape, transformations and angles, and the architect took those on board and created a project around that. And it was like a really effective way of enabling the students to use their kind of maths in a real world context, but also to understand uh, kind of potential careers in maths. Um, mm. And it was actually the teacher that initiated it. So she wanted her students to kind of see um, that maths is like a really enjoyable subject and, that, and she wanted to encourage them to do A-level. So that, that's why this project was important for her. Uh, I think what's actually more of an issue, and there, there are probably two actually, for teachers is that firstly there's this kind of belief fear that project-based learning won't enable your students to sort of pass their exams you know they won't get the subject content they need and it's kind of a rational sort of understandable fear or belief you know based on kind of Ofsted league tables all that kind of thing we certainly don't um you know belittle that kind of fear but because of that you often find that a project will be either sort of in you know key stage three year seven perhaps eight or it's kind of relegated to a sort of July, you know, nice bit of enrichment type project. I mean, we're hoping mm. that things like School XP, uh, with their kind of GCSE results and their Ofsted uh, inspection rating might sort of start to shift the debate slightly. Another issue is that if you're thinking in terms of cross-curricular projects, that subject teaching in secondary schools is, is fairly siloed, um, again, probably quite understandably. And yet, if you take a project, a theme like um, climate change, that there is actually huge potential to create a cross-curricular project in all the individual subjects. So, I mean, it's a, a very specific part of the science and geography curriculum, but it requires an understanding of maths or statistics, and there's lots of real-time data that um, can be used. Um, even our university in the Urban Observatory provides quite a lot of live data that can be used. But also just in terms of things like in your English, you could write with, you know, science based reports and having interviewed staff at the university in the School of Engineering a few years ago, they said that a lot of the um, degree students couldn't really write reports, which they were having to do for uh, employers, you know, their, in their science kind of environment. So actually just making these kind of cross curricular projects and making the subject learning more meaningful could could be really val valuable, like we think. That's really interesting, isn't it? And going back to to, to sort of what you were saying about the, the what you actually offer within this the, the project, you talked very very strongly and very passionately about collaboration. Do you mm. think that that's a real key? Not only collaboration in terms of linking education and educators to employers, but to encourage teachers to to collaborate with each other. How can you how can you you know overcome the fear um, the fear factor of how am I going to get my students through an exam if you're then presented with a challenge of doing a cross curricular project as you say on climate change and you're thinking I wouldn't even know who to ask to in my own in my own sort of colleagues yeah. is is that something that you you think this project's helped to sort of break down barriers to I think what we think is that you you need to kind of we've got this idea of starting small and sort of building in complexity because i think if you start perhaps just in your subject area on area on a small project and kind of get to understand you know the, because the actual process is quite different from normal teaching you know you're giving much more student agency to your to your students a lot more independent working 
Um, and if you start to build that in until you're really confident in your subject, then I feel like you might feel more confident to approach um, others to, to build a, a sort of bigger project. I mean, there is a bit of resistance. It does lead... <laughs> We did work with one school on this very, so this is an actually specific example, and we had the geography teachers and the science teachers together to talk about it. Um, I mean, we'd had to initiate that, but they were, they did actually then see the connections. So it's, I mean, it's a struggle, but yes, I think it probably takes one person to, to, to bring that, bring those people together. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, nothing really good is, is ever that easy to do. No. Um, so. We've sort of started to talk about the challenges um, around this, and I'd, I'd like to explore that a little further. What, other than the sort of you know the fear and the, and the collaboration, what what are the particular challenges that that schools and colleges that might think, oh, I, you know, we could give this PBL a go? What what are the challenges that you think that you've identified? Well, if I if I answer that one, I think they fall into two broad categories. One would be political, the other one would be practical. So if I start with the political one, mm. political as in policy, really, the, the national curriculum is, is structured around subjects. And the Ofsted framework reinforces that with its emphasis on learning and remembering subject knowledge. And if you combine that with the fierce accountability we have, for subject knowledge outcomes, and you do tend to create a kind of defensive, careful approach to the curriculum where, where people are a little bit frightened to take risks. And I think that is reflected also in the, in the discourse we have about uh, the curriculum and education. So policy, practice, even journalism, all expressed as, as a subject-based curriculum, with a few exceptions. That is the norm and, and schools and teachers find it difficult to step away from that into projects which combine subjects in a whole variety of ways and make different demands upon subject knowledge. So that's the kind of political component to it. I think the practical component is that teachers have been brought up in a system, and most of them have been at school in a system, that expects and trains them to be in control and plan for set subject outcomes, focusing very much on those subject outcomes rather than the broader outcomes that some people at least uh, think is really important for young people. And they do find the switch to a more contingent approach, a more contingent pedagogy, where you know where you're headed, you know some of the things you have to cover but you're prepared for some twists and turns in the road as, as a project unfolds. Mm. And I think that the challenge there for teachers and for schools is when do you direct the students so that you do achieve the essential national curriculum subject outcomes? And when you give the students their head and allow them to explore and to develop these other capacities and, uh, personality traits that actually deep down most of us think really education is as much about that as learning with object knowledge so i think it's it's those two that are particular challenges to the system and to individual teachers so much of what we try to do is to support particularly individual teachers and schools through the slightly bumpy road of uh, incorporating that more contingent approach to 
that's that's interesting because it it does in some ways feel as though this is quite a risky thing for a school or a, a, a tutor or a teacher to, to undertake and I think particularly um, around the time restraints because I was really interested with when you said you know when do you direct and when do you sort of step back and, and, and let things take their course and of course one of the real challenges in, in school education at the moment is that only so many hours in the day and you're trying to sort of force in the English, the maths, the science, the geography. It, it's, it's quite hard to sort of, to take your foot off the pedal, isn't it? And just go with the flow for a while. And do you think that that, that sort of time pressure, has that been exacerbated by the, the recent COVID pandemic with, you know, this constant litany of, you know, we must make up, we must catch up, we must make up lost time. What, what are your views on that? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've definitely found uh, Food Project at the pandemic had a massive effect on, on most schools, um, not just in terms of their PBL delivery, but in terms of just the way that they structured their curriculum, their timetable, um, how they allocated priorities, really. Um, mm. Most of them obviously moved to online delivery, and then there was recovery curriculums that were put in place. And it, we did see straight away that an awful lot of PBL projects were shelved because anything that was considered more innovative, extracurricular, not part of the core curriculum, it wasn't considered a priority anymore. Even in schools where they've committed timetable allocation, budget funding, you know, they put a lot of effort into launching a full mm. PBL programme across the school. It was very much part of their school ethos. But they had to cut back on anything that, that was extraneous really to what they had to provide for their for their children. And I mean, now, even now they're back in school, you've got an awful lot of classrooms are set out in rows. There's less group work, there's more individual work, there's less outdoor activities, uh, fewer outdoor activities, fewer collaborative activities. So things have changed quite dramatically this year. But we are now seeing schools and colleges who are thinking ahead to projects that can deliver next academic year. So they've mm. tweak things to match their new circumstances, or they're thinking just about how they can get, get back into a new, uh, a new normal, as we keep calling it. And, you know, certainly, I think one of the things that could be a positive is the increase in technology use by teachers and students. Um, it's, it's increased their confidence and their ability in using a wider range of digital mobile technologies. And I think that's opened up new opportunities to integrate these speakers and visits into a project because, you know, suddenly you can Zoom people from all over the world into your classroom if you want to. Mm. So we're still seeing the passion of the teachers to keep going and to keep collaborating with others. Yes, it may have shifted slightly. Um, it may have changed the way that they look at things. They may have less time to allocate space, but they're still keen to engage in training. They're still leading training for their colleagues. We're still working with schools and teachers. And I think one of the big things is once you become a teacher who engages in something like project-based learning, that's kind of a part of your identity now and you don't really want to go back to teaching the way you used to and that's certainly what we're seeing from some of our teachers that we work with they've had a real identity shift they love working in this way and they want to continue working in this way in whatever 
guys that, that they can, given the current circumstances. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because in a way, you can, you can see that working in this collaborative, open, contingent way must be liberating for teachers. Um, but as you say, it's, it's a very different approach to how most teachers are trained. Do you, do you think if, if PBL is going to have a realistic chance of, of becoming mainstream, that we need to almost take a step back and look at teacher training? I think teacher training is crucial. Um, I mean, I've made the reference earlier to uh, teachers being brought up in a system which is about delivering subject knowledge. Uh, and stepping away from that is incredibly important. Of course, all initial teacher education has its own constraints because there is a, an Ofsted framework um, and there are the um, standards that students have to reach. And of course, that, that uh, framework now is being up for review and, and being changed a little bit, but it, it'll be essentially the same. So I think it is important that training institutions, whether the universities or schools, do make sure that they keep some notion in their preparation of teachers of repertoire. Because although subject teaching that's full of good explanations and good activities focused on subject learning outcomes is a critical part of teaching, it's not the only part of the repertoire of a teacher. You need teachers to be, to have this kind of range of ways in which they can teach so that they can help students uh, achieve the whole range of learning outcomes that we think are important, which would include in the ability to work together, the sense of confidence and aspiration for their futures in education and in work. So I think what I would emphasize is this notion of repertoire, being able to use a number of approaches to pedagogy and curriculum that can deliver a wide range of outcomes, not just this narrow uh, subject knowledge outcomes absolutely and i think that's that's as as true for teachers as it is for for the, the young people the students within education um I, I think there's there's a real growing demand for education not to deliver rote learning exam taking um automatons but to deliver holistic connected people that can add value to their to their employer to their country you know, to the community to the country yeah that's that is absolutely the case um and it's it's almost as if we have a kind of separate brains we do think that's really important but somehow you know it is a struggle to get that in to efficient mm. government policy on education there's a challenge there but we're working on it we're <laughs> just working on it as well very hard and I think networking at both local and national level of all the people who believe that education can be better and different is a very important part of what everybody's trying to do. Absolutely. And I, I think that, that sort of leads me into sort of thoughts around CPD. Um, because, of course, as we all know, teaching isn't something that you, you, you learn to do and then that's it. You never look at it again teachers you know good teachers the teachers that are memorable learn constantly so do you think that if you if you can't go back and change teacher training to sort of you know in, include this sort of approach 
do you think that CPD is a, is a valuable tool for, for established teachers that are you know both interested in, in PBL but perhaps also a little reticent again about it? I think we thought that I mean we sort of all agree that CPD throughout your teaching career is massively important anyway because um, you're constantly learning as a teacher you should be learning from your students you should be learning from each other but one of the things that we saw when we did PBL specific um, professional learning sessions was how important it was to increase teachers confidence in planning and delivering projects because I mean they had great content knowledge they had great subject knowledge these are good teachers that we're working with they're excellent in the classroom and and they love their subject and, and they love teaching but getting across the, the key principles of PBL was one thing um but giving them the confidence and encouraging them to perhaps take a step out of their comfort zone perhaps take some risks that they wouldn't have taken before work with people that they would never have considered of working with you know we had one teacher and she, she went in early and she set up her classroom at the crime scene. Um, she smeared wow. every jam all over the, the, the windows. And <laughs> yeah. like oh, that's it, brilliant. This is the day that, that, that it starts to make you think. And she had the confidence to do that um, and set that up as a crime scene. The next time after they visited the law courts, she found that her students just came into the classroom and they rearranged the classroom as a courtroom without her having to say anything so she had confidence onto them and that was amazing to be able to take her out of her comfort zone she then took the students out of their comfort zone as well so that's the thing as the teacher becomes more confident pdl their confidence increases the level of their collaboration increases they feel more able to make their own connections the scale of the project grows as we say they start small suddenly they're doing more ambitious showcases more authentic encounters but most importantly there's more interaction and dialogue with their colleagues and that encourages more teachers to get involved because they see how it works from their colleagues from their peers so we provided those professional learning sessions and it was important that we had teachers from different sectors so they could mix, they could meet with external partners as well and they could talk to each other and hear how things worked because it's really important for the teachers to have opportunities to learn from each other and to inspire each other and become part, as David said, of this network of potential collaborators. It just makes them more likely to, to carry on if they know that somebody's got their back They've got a network of like-minded people around them who, you know, feel the same and, and who can support them and collaborate with them and work with them to, to build, uh, you know, from the foundations that they that they begin. Absolutely, you need to to have that that sort of support, don't you, to take that risk as we talked about previously, to to sort of to leap into it, and then you're you're in that sort of upcycle of virtuous cycling to. I've tried it, it worked. I've tried it a bit differently, it worked. I've tried it in my subject and I'm going to try it across two subjects. It, you can really see how in, in organisations where this is done and embraced, that there really isn't, you know, the, the, the sky is the limit for PBL, isn't there? Um, but just to sort of bring us back, because I'm just sort of, I'm, I'm heading off into a utopian landscape here, um, as I'm wont to do, as my, my friends and colleagues will know. Of course, there's, there's, a, there's a big jump, isn't there, to make that first step. Um, and to 
to encourage people in perhaps organizations, schools that aren't so, you know, willing to embrace the change, if you could kind of crystallize it down and go, right, here are the three, four, however many real benefits of, of doing this for the for staff and for students. What would you say? What would you say if you had to do your sort of, I, I hate the phrase elevator pitch, but I'm going to use it. If you had to do your elevator pitch between here and the sixth floor, what's the benefit of this? That's for you all on the spot, hasn't it? I think I, I'm going to take that, but it's going to have to be a sixth floor and a very tall building because I've got that. <laughs> and say. a very slow lift. Yeah, very slow lift. Um, so in terms of the students, um, if you have a project that's planned thoroughly, and I'm just going to go through kind of the principles that we think need to be in a project. So a real world challenge or grief, student agency, some visits, the involvement of external partners, some kind of final project and a showcase. Then the benefits for the students are enormous. At a really basic level, we think that a project creates meaning for the subject learning in school. And if you just think of all the times that you hear a student saying, why do I need to know that? I'm never going to use that. <laughs> And I think my son, when he was doing his A-levels, was a prime example of that because he was always saying, I don't need to know that. And to a certain extent, he was right because he, he did quite well in his A-levels and just learned very narrow subject content. What a project can do uh, that's got kind of like real world learning and applications in it will help students to understand why knowing something is important and it creates a context for that learning. PBL also provides students with agency and ownership over their learning, so they can take the subject content knowledge and present it in ways that mean something to them and to their audience, and that's really important as well. In terms of the other principles, if we go through those, I mean, first of all, your confidence levels will grow. There'll be skills that you develop, like working to deadlines, working with peers and partners, creating public products, presenting all of those kind of softer, kind of like important skills for, for the world of work. Through the visits, like to businesses, museums, universities, working with people who've had different careers and study journeys, they begin to do what um, Stephen Ball and colleagues refer to as imagine possible futures. And I, I really like that kind of idea. Uh, this relates nicely to the Gatsby benchmarks and statutory careers guidance, which is all about helping young people understand sort of the many and varied opportunities that are available. In terms of the teachers, I mean, what you said about liberation earlier is, is really kind of one of the key things I would pick out is this sort of working with students in this way and with partners, whether that's just other subject teachers in school or external partners, is really motivating. Um, you know, teachers go into teaching because they love their subject and they want students to share their enthusiasm. And we found that when teachers are working on projects, and they have overtly told us this, um, it kind of reignites their passion in the subject because what you know a because of uh, the subject content itself but also because of the way they see the, the students engaging um, mm. and I think the last thing that I would mention is the fact that you get different kind of relationships so the students and the teachers see each other in completely new ways it's something that the sociologist Basil Bernstein called framing so you're working together you're, and seeing each other perhaps as people rather than that teacher-students hierarchical relationship and that not only do the students get to see their teacher in a new way but I think the teachers will hopefully see the, the students doing things that are unexpected and and they didn't think perhaps could happen and we think that's really important. 
That's interesting. So I, I remember, Don, sort of from one of the reports that you, you did for us on this project, there was this wonderful reference to students as activists. Um, and that's that's quite an emotive statement. But do you, do you see that as a, a as a plus, as a positive? I, I certainly would. Um, it, it, it has a slight mental image of, of Greta Thunberg and students all out on strike. But I presume that activism in this content, in this context, is a very different um, sort of feeling. If I can jump in here, um, I think the way in which I would frame this is that for me, and I think for many other people, you cannot adequately educate young people sat in a classroom doing traditional subjects the whole time. That is an important part of education, but for many young people, experience, and we have a tagline about going places, meeting people, and very importantly, doing and making things. And for me, those are just three absolutely critical parts of a broad and creative education that gives everybody the chance to develop into the person that they can be. And as part of that, developing their capacity to be actors or to have agency in their life, to overcome, to, to achieve the things that they think are important to them, to overcome the barriers and difficulties and disadvantages that are, are in their way. And of course, for some young people, the barriers and disadvantages are, are much greater. And I think we have to see this approach to education as a critical way of overcoming disadvantage. I can talk about my own children. You know, they went to lots of places. They met lots of people who, interesting people who are our friends. But my youngest daughter is, is, a, is a GP. That's partly because we knew GPs and she was able to talk to them, see them as role models. And we have to see experience, this chance to go places, meet people and do and make things as a critical part of a fair and just education system. I, I, I almost want to say thank you and good night because I think that's no. that's a great place to, to end. But I do have a couple of other questions. So okay. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause that okay. you know as, as the tagline to end on. I'm, I may actually make you say that again at the end, David. Um, but um, clearly you, you're all very passionate about this. Do you see a role for the university in being a champion of PBL going forward? Yeah, I guess that, that that's me as well. Um, <laughs> I, I do. Um, Don't sound so downbeat about it. I think you're the man for the job. <laughs> well, I, I've worked here for over 30 years and it's a great place to work. Um, I'm a little frustrated at times, but, you know, that's life. <laughs> but, but getting down to the detail, you know, universities are, I think we could accept the description of them being anchor institutions. They're not here today and gone to gone tomorrow. Many of them have long histories and they're here for the long term. They are large, they are long-standing, they are reputable by and large. They have a particular <laughs> status, and it's what you know many young people aspire to. So they are looked to as major regional actors. I think at the moment they're not playing the part that they could do. Some are doing that some of the time in some places and so on, but we could do a lot more. And I think to really 
big up their their potential they have these rich scenes of cutting edge knowledge through scholarship and research that can really excite young people yeah and that's not just secondary schools that's primary schools as well because kids are really interested in cutting edge knowledge they want to be where the, the, the scientists and researchers are at uh, you know as long as it's presented in, in a in a way that they can understand and much of that knowledge is is aligned with sustainable development goals and also social issues at local and national levels so i think universities have a critical to, to play in that and I think the third thing about universities is that we, you know, fairly unique. There's nothing else quite like universities. And we do have a responsibility for social justice and fairness. And of course, you know, in a statutory way for widening participation. And for me, PBL is a key vehicle, a key medium for being able to be really active in developing and delivering all those possibilities to young people and making their education really vibrant experience that helps young people to develop all their capabilities and all of their talents so i think university's got a, a big part to play they're beginning to fill that role but we can do more and i am you know i speak for newcastle university here although i'm not the vice chancellor <laughs> say <laughs> that you know in the next few years i'm sure we will be doing more in this field the universities do spend a lot of money on their engagement with schools i think we can probably you know spend it in a slightly more effective way if we think about it carefully that's interesting i think i think the vice chancellor is going to be sort of uh, on the edge of his seat but, uh, <laughs> you're, you're after his ambassadorial role going forward I think I'm a bit, <laughs> bit too old for that <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's the passion that keeps you going. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yes, yeah, that is absolutely true. And you, you, I can feel it in terms of my own grandchildren. Um, you know, they get some good things from their, from their schooling, uh, but they could get more. So, you know, there is that ambition to make sure that they, you know, have the chances in life to become the people they can be. My God, you are the man with the soundbite today. I, I, I think okay. I, I should be taking a list of this. <laughs> so I think we're, we're coming to the end of our time. So it's been really great hearing about the project and, you know, all the resources and the supports that uh, support that the university and this project have offered. But if my final question is going to be, if after listening to this, a, a teacher or a lecturer is is interested in you know taking that initial step that sort of you know that slight leap into the unknown and and trying out pbl in their school or college what would your your sort of you know your one piece of advice be to them right now this is going to sound really terrible because i'm going to start with go to the planning guide that we produced as a result of the project <laughs> that we were, <laughs> were funded uh, to do by the EDGE Foundation. And I'm not just saying that because we did it, I'm really not at all. It's because we worked for 18 months with uh, teachers, students um, and external partners. And this guide is based on what they did and what they told us. Um, so we've learned from the, sort of the successes, we've learned from the challenges and the failures, what worked well and not so well. 
And what we've done is we've kind of um, distilled it down sequentially through planning a project. So we're starting with, you know, the rationale and the principles, why you want to do this. So a lot of the beautiful stuff that David's just taught you about is there at the beginning, explaining why you would want to do this. And we've then gone through with specific sections on, you know, how you ensure subject content coverage, how you manage group work, how you, what kind of launch events you could have, showcases, visits. It's taking you through, you know, providing information for how to make those connections. Um, so even just going back to what David's just been saying about working with the university, we have a section about that, how a teacher might approach a university to get a really good experience for their students. Um, the key, I think, is not to rush into anything. I mean, one thing we found is that it's you should take quite a long time to plan a project and then you'll get a really good one at the end. Do the reading. You know, there are quite a few videos from a lot of the good schools like High Tech High up to watch. Talk to your colleagues. You might find there are more interested than you think. And that idea of starting small and building up in complexity. And again, we've got a section and a table that might show you that. So that as your confidence grows, you can go bigger and better. And we do think that once you've done one in one context and seen the response of your students and how it's motivated you that you won't want to stop. We really do believe that. There was a little, was a little quotation, wasn't there, from a, one, of our, one of my favourite quotes from one of our teachers. I think she kind of crystallised it and it's always the quote that I come back to because she said that when you're involved with PBL, you have to be able to recognise you're going to have to adapt as you go through and adapting doesn't mean that something's failed. It means that you're looking for a better way for it to work. And I think that's the, that sort of sums up our journey with, with all of these teachers and what they've, what they've achieved and what we've achieved. We're just constantly striving to find better ways for things to work and better ways for the students to learn. And that's what the teachers have to do as well. That's a brilliant ending for this. So, Sadly, we are at time, so I'm going to say thank you to all of you, David, Alison, Orika, for your time and for chatting with me today. Thank you. If you're, if, oh, it's my pleasure. And if you're interested in finding out more about the PBL Goes to University project, visit the EDGE website, www.edu.co.uk, where you can download the PBL planning curriculum guide that we've been talking about and find a direct link to the work of Newcastle University and some further resources. And I'm going to go back to, to, to David, the, the soundbite maestro, oh, because this is lovely. clearly... <laughs> this is clearly a project and an approach that is going places. It's making you meet people and it's definitely making you do and make things. And I think that is where we're going to end it today. Thank you all very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.